Hey, welcome to 412 Connections. My name is Larry Grayway. I'm here with Heather Kroos, who founded this podcast a couple years ago, and it used to be called Mylar, My Look at Recovery. And we've kind of switched it up this year. We used 412 because it says this, it says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two stand back to back and can conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And we're here to talk about how mental health um, affects our lives and how we can recover and how we need each other as a part of that recovery process. And so again, I'm here with Heather and she's gonna get us kicked off today. Welcome back to 412 Connections. We're wrapping up season three, which seems a little surreal to be honest with you. And the second full season with you, which is kind of weird too, to be honest. Yeah. I let Larry come back since it was the last episode. <laughs> End of season three. That's I didn't. I hadn't really thought about season three. So it's being season three. Yeah, we've so. been doing this for three years together. Well, I guess technically two since it was twenty twenty one, but yeah, still pretty cool. It's been fun. Uh, and as, as we have done the last two seasons, we're going to wrap up with surviving the holidays and the importance of self-care. I know for myself, especially the last few years, the holidays have been a lot tougher, especially after losing my dad. And then last year, losing Max really threw me for a loop. And I know for you... Uh, from discussions that we've had that Thanksgiving is always a little bit weird for you because of the losses in your family. Mm-hmm. So what about Christmas and New Year's? Because New Year's really is a part of the surviving the holidays type thing. You know, even with the losses that have been around Thanksgiving, for me, and I think I handle it a little bit differently, it's not so much I'm, I'm not one that goes back to a grieving point I know a lot of people do and I understand that uh, it's just it's actually the nice thing about it for me is it's a reminder of my brother's life my dad's life because they they did it on the same day five years apart which is the week of Thanksgiving so when you when you look at that, Thanksgiving is a point that, even though it was a, a tragic time in those periods of time, we're going back to like 2003 and 2008, but on a, on a bigger scale, it's, it's a place that I have a, a reminder. Like, hey, here is, you know, think about my dad, I think about my brother. Uh, same thing at the beginning of August with my mom. So I think I view loss of family members maybe a little different than some because I have my faith in God and trusting that they too had that relationship that it's a passing through of this life but it's not the end. And so as sad as I am to not have them in my life, it's not something that brings me sorrow. So with both of them, it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Has it changed? Like in the beginning, was it more difficult than it is now? I mean, that's that's an interesting question. Actually, probably of all of them, my brother's was probably the most difficult Um, just because of the circumstances around it and um, we had lived for years with the expectation that my dad could die anytime right Um, my mom was 83 we knew that when she went in the hospital that was you know she was already kind of winding down so with my brother with it being kind of unexpected 
those kind of things, I think it changes the conversation. And again, I am probably not normal when it comes to how I deal with that type of loss. It hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, I've never been one that's felt compelled to go back to gravesides or has to pause that day and, and make a big deal about it. Um, but part of that is the way I was raised. Dates were not a big deal in my family. Um, so again, I, I realize I'm not the norm in that. But it, and I'm, I'm also not alone because I've had conversations with people even in our own church we're very much on the same page with that. Yeah, we, we miss the people that are gone. We, we feel that loss, but it's not something that really changes that moment or that date for us. And so for me, Thanksgiving is a time of, hey, we go hang out with family, we go hang out with Jennifer's brother or our parents or used to go to my parents, you know, it would be a time of relaxing, celebrating, taking a step back. Christmas is a little more stressful with the church. Everybody's coming to our house, but still a time, even through New Year's, it's kind of a time of stepping back. So that's never, and I know it's been different for you and even with the surviving the holidays, Stuff and I know it can be, I know the anxiety of not having maybe income to maybe supply for my kids or my family, what I would like to do for Christmas. I felt that. But as far as being a stressful, kind of depressing time, that's never been a big issue for me at all. I think you, um, well, first of all, you're not normal in anything, so why would you be in your grief? <laughs> Love you, but let's face it, normal is a very subjective term, and if you were normal, we wouldn't get along. But one of the key differences that you pointed out is that you have a good relationship with your family. Yeah. And so for you, Thanksgiving is a time when your family still all comes together, and you guys get to just kind of relax and enjoy one another. And when I was younger, mm -hmm. that was the case. Sure. And then as I got older, that became less and less true. And then when I moved back in with my parents in 2012, I made the Thanksgiving feast for the three of us, well, five of us, because the pups got a special treat too, because they're part of the family. And so that first year, because we lost my dad a few weeks before Thanksgiving, and mm -hmm. that was, when I lived in Colorado, that was our holiday. Yeah, yeah. He would drive from Reno to Grand Junction, which is literally an all-day drive. I think it's like 12 hours. And he would come out the night before just so he could spend Thanksgiving with me and then leave the next morning. Mm -hmm. So that was like our tradition and then when I moved back home it was my parents and I would make a huge spread even though there was just the three of us eating off of it and so that first year when we lost him I invited my siblings my brother just flat out ignored me because he was going through his own stuff and basically cut us off and then my sister brought her whole family and it was like their family celebration was the one that took over and I had made all this food and nobody ate it and I even told them, I was like, look, I'm going to make the full feast. And they're like, well, we were I'm like, okay, fine. So we had two turkeys. And I had mutilated a turkey <laughs> trying to carve it. Because my dad had always done it. Yeah. And so Thanksgiving has been hard because it, it brings back those old memories. And not having that closeness and that connection anymore. Because I remember as a kid playing, we'd sit around the table and we'd play board games together even though I was traumatized by Uno. 
we would we would we would come together as a family and it was like that one time of the year from thanksgiving through new year's that i knew my family was going to get together and we were going to get along and it would feel like i actually the family that i wanted but as we got older and the fact that my dad went really quickly and unexpectedly mm -hmm. didn't help it didn't help the fact that i had just gotten out of the hospital so there was a lot of guilt associated with it. And then Max, Max hit really hard. Mm -hmm. Especially because there's still a lot of guilt that I didn't recognize the pain that he was in sooner. And then being told that we were gonna have months and we didn't even have a week. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Stupid allergies. And so, and that was part of the reason I wanted to get your perspective on this because I know that it's different. And I know there are other people that are out there that, and, and as you pointed out, even if you have a good relationship with your family, it can still be stressful. Yeah. So, <clears throat> whether you have a good relationship or not, there are some things that you can do to kind of prepare yourself for those times. And I know uh, and I know your story, and I think it's difficult when you make the efforts to come together and people in their own selfishness or whatever kind of make it about them, and then that creates tension. Um, and I know that happens in a lot of people's homes. I think... For some, and I, I want to hit on a different side than even where you usually struggle with it, because your struggle is more about the relational side. I think where a lot of people struggle is the financial side. Um, like with the people, like people that we have dealt with over the years that are either homeless or on the edge of homelessness. Um, aren't able to provide that big meal or have the space or the ability even to travel to where family is. And that creates a loneliness. It creates a sense of shame like, wow, I'm not good enough to be able to provide. And I think that for many people is as traumatic in a lot of ways as remembering loss in dealing with that even the, for you loss of just relationship even if it was even if it was not i'm not going to say fault but even if it was a bigger effort for everybody to kind of get along at the same time because your family has a certain level of uh struggle in in being in the same room at the same time for more than 20, 30 seconds. Um, but, and I'm not saying that to be mean, it's just, it's, that's, 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 that's some family dynamics. You're some, not wrong. Some families just really struggle. And um, we've been pretty fortunate in that. But the side of going, hey, you know what? I'd love to do all of this stuff but that's gonna cost me a couple hundred dollars. And right now, a couple hundred dollars needs to go to pay bills or to put gas in the car. And so, uh, if you remember years ago, well, you weren't, you weren't part of when we first started with Budgetel. That was one of the things we wanted to do. We wanted to provide a meal for the families that lived in the extended stay hotel but not us just give them a warm meal and say, hey, have a great day. We, we, we smoked chickens, but gave them all of the resources so they could make their own meal. The chicken was the one thing they didn't have ovens, but everything else they could cook themselves and have some hand in making other than you know some of the pie or whatever. But that was because we wanted them to have that sense of dignity, but also to be able to supply for their family something they wouldn't normally be able to do. And I think that's important to remember that there are people 
no matter whether it's a financial strain, which is a big issue in the holidays, that pressure to provide Christmas gifts or uh, whatever that may be, or if it's family pressure where it's like, hey, we're all going to be in the same place. We, we tolerate each other at best. Um, but hey, we're going to make the best of this type thing. And, and I think it depends on what angle you're coming at and how you approach that that, that affects how you respond to it. And that was one of the things I really wanted to touch on is to provide some examples and tools for the toolbox. Um, there's a, when you're living in the recovery world, there's a thing called a rat plan or whole health, I don't know. It's a recovery action plan something with the W, I don't remember what it is, doesn't matter. Wellness recovery action plan. Sorry, I was, anyway. And one of the very first things that they have you do when you're putting this plan together is to put together your toolbox, which is essentially a list of different coping skills and your support system so that when you're going through something, you have a tangible list of things that you can pull from. And then it progresses into like, this is what I look like when I'm doing well, this is what I look like when I'm starting to struggle. And it, it goes down into even creating a, a crisis plan. And after the crisis intervention, like what happens if you were to end up in the hospital? Mm-hmm. And the, the part that I really wanna focus on is that toolbox. Like what are some tools because you do, you mentioned financial, and even with the family dynamics that I have, that does play into it. And I think a lot of that has to do with our very commercialistic society and very materialistic society. People don't seem to recognize that a gift doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And something this really smart pastor keeps telling me is that the greatest gift you can give somebody is your time because it's the one non-renewable resource that we have. And so I would like to encourage people to think about that because sometimes just making something small for somebody, if it's a meal or even just a text or a phone call can make a world of difference. You don't have to go out and spend hundreds of dollars on Christmas gifts for your friends and family. and, and we need to recognize that on the receiving end, too, that it's okay if people aren't spending a ridiculous amount of money because at the end of the day, that's not what it should be about. Yeah, absolutely. And you hit on a couple things, and I'm gonna, I'll give some tools to help with that in just a minute. And, and so Jennifer and I, and we were hoping to have Jennifer on here today, but we couldn't. Um, Jennifer and I did something, and it was all her, not me. Um, did something pretty early on in our kids' lives for Christmas. We decided that everybody in the family is only getting four gifts. And those four gifts are something you want, something you need, um, something to wear, and something to read. And so we had a budget with that. Now the stocking was a little different thing and we, we didn't put a big limit on the stocking. But, you know, you can only stuff so much stuff in the stocking. Now, sometimes those things can get pretty expensive. But so you're opening more than four gifts. But that main gift was something practical, something that would help them learn or grow or something they would enjoy with the reading. Um, Something you wanted and something you needed. My problem was my want and need usually ended up being the same thing. So it but it takes some of that pressure off of oh, I've got to get X amount of gifts. I've got to do all these things. So as a parent, that's a really good, it doesn't work in everybody's situation, but for a parent, that's a really good way. But I think the biggest key in all of this for any of these situations, and it really rolls into life as well, is start now in working on your perspective. 
where we end up usually getting depressed and down and that that place of woe is me is when we focus on ourselves like i've lost this i don't have this i can't do this and so every one of those is like getting punched in the gut and nailing your self-esteem it's nailing how you feel so if and, and i know it sounds like a mind thing and it really is is learning to go okay no i don't have the ability to do all of these things but what can i do and what would be the most impactful to either the people i want to bless with gifts or whatever like you've made me tremendous amount of things over the years and that's a way that you show love is by making things um and i have some of them in my office some of them on our couch so you know we have stuff everywhere that you've made hanging on the walls but that's the way you show love that is shows that i've invested time i've invested my skill because i care about you the the other side of that is it, so if you're only focused on what you can't do or what you've lost or what's then yeah, you're going to go to that dark place. You're going to go to that place that's woe is me. But if you can shift your mind, even if it's even and I know some people are alone during Thanksgiving and Christmas and and sometimes well-meaning people are like, hey, why don't you come to my house? But that's not exactly what they need. Um, but even if you're alone or by yourself at some of these times, pick some key connections because we've talked about connections. Our whole year has been about connections. Pick some key connections in your life and just send them a message. Hey, thinking about you on Thanksgiving, hope you have a great day. Man, Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah, whatever. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Have a great day. But do it with not with the expectation that you're going to get some happy, merry Christmas back, but just because you want to bless somebody else's life. And that frees you up a little bit. It's not perfect, but that change of perspective helps you to take yourself out of that pit that you're in and start looking at what you can do with what you have. So I'm going to back up just a little bit because I know you mean well, but you're oversimplifying things to an extent. And it, it, this goes back to probably, I think, last year when we went over the five stages of recovery. And, then, and this has been more relevant to my life, especially over the last few months. Yesterday was four weeks post-op on the left knee. Today is or not four weeks on the left, 16 weeks, four weeks on the right, and we'll be having ankle surgery at some point in the near future. And as you know, I've been struggling, and a lot of that has to do with those five stages. And so, and I think this applies to other areas of life too. You have that initial impact, that, that event that, that shakes your world, shakes your identity. And then you find yourself getting trapped in this place where it's like, okay, now everything's different and I can't do all these things that I used to be able to do. I'm, and that's where you get stuck. And until you can, that spark hits you and it's not really something that you have control over all the time. Which Jennifer can speak to this a little bit better because of her challenges that she's been facing, which was part of the reason we were hoping that she could join just to get another perspective. But it's like sometimes people who haven't gone through things and don't deal with, especially people that are dealing with clinical depression, it's not as easy as, okay, just think happy thoughts. But you are right and the doing something for others because it, quite frankly, it is a very selfish thing. But it's not selfish if you do it with the right mindset. See, but I want to point out something though, and I, and I agree with you. I do make it pretty simple, but it's not just think happy thoughts. I didn't say that at all. 
That's, that's, that's how you interpret it. That's the way a lot of people interpret it. Perspective isn't about thinking happy thoughts. Perspective is taking something and looking at it from a different right. angle. That's, mm. not, that's not thinking happy thoughts. That doesn't mean that you still don't have sadness and things, but it shifts your focus of what you're focused on to something else. And that's a difference than, and I know it's not easy for people to do. Okay. I just, like I said, I, I wasn't trying to be argumentative or anything. It's just one of those things that, and I know other people will misinterpret it as well, because I've talked to other people about this. And yes, you, it is important to try to shift your perspective, but sometimes it's a lot harder said than done. Well, most things are, and most things that are worthwhile are. But the doing things for others actually is one of the uh, coping skills that they will teach you. Um, and some of the other things, because sometimes when you get in that dark place, there are very simple things that can help you that are simple but also very difficult. So it's little things like remembering to take a shower. It's uh, making sure that you're eating and things like that. So sometimes you really have to get back to the, the bare bones basics and think about what are your basic needs and just work on, on meeting those. And before you can really focus on anything else, you have to make sure that you're meeting those basic needs. And then once you meet those basic needs, then start working towards more of building the connections and things. And I just want to make sure that people remember that because it depends on who you ask. Some people say that the holidays increase the suicidality. Other people say that it decreases. But even if you have a healthy uh, environment, when you, you have people come into your house that don't live with you, you can't tell me that doesn't add tension. It can. And it, and it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. That's one of the things that people don't seem to recognize is that stress and tension are not necessarily bad. You, it can be a good thing but it's still hard to deal with. And that was just a, another thing. So what are some other coping mechanism, coping skills that you use when you're, even if it's not during the holidays, just in general, like what are some of the things that you do to make sure that you are taking care of yourself? Um, that's, a, that's a loaded question. For me, it's, um, I'm pretty regimented on how I live my life, especially when it comes to things that I don't want to put a lot of thought into, like food. Now, I, I'm, people laugh, and it's one thing that I... So Craig Rochelle has a leadership podcast, and I've listened to not all of it, but I've listened to quite a few. I think Craig does a good job with his leadership podcast, whether you like Craig Rochelle or not. One of the things that I learned from Craig Rochelle that I think was really a big deal, um, and he was talking about leaders, um, is a lot of times we get hung up on and give mental energy to things that shouldn't take that much mental energy. And so Craig, for lunch, he has an assistant. He pastors a pretty large church, pretty big organization. They have hundreds of employees. He's more of a CEO in that sense. But every day of the week, he has two options for lunch. And he tells his assistant, I want one of those two things. You pick it. I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to eat at this time. Make sure that's available. He has the ability to do that. So what I've... 
what I've done in my life, not necessarily that I don't have somebody that's going to fix me food at a specific time, but I've regimented out when I'm going to eat, for the most part, what I'm going to eat, so I don't have to think about it. It's a pretty natural, pretty automatic thing. People are like, well, I don't want to eat, you know, okay, whatever, that's fine. It, it comes down to, for the most part throughout the day, I eat pretty much the same thing until dinner. Then it changes. But then the other side of that is, is that I build a schedule into my daily life as well. And sometimes that changes. Um, so there's, it's a really hard thing for me to answer well. And I, and I know I'm skirting around this because I don't want to make this about me because there are a lot of things that I do on a regular basis. One is my time with God in prayer i try to put everything in my day into that perspective that this day is a gift that i have the opportunity today to do the things that are before me that it's not just oh i've got to do this today and i've got to do this i have an opportunity to do stuff i have an opportunity to be a part of of somebody else's life i have the opportunity to accomplish certain things but then I also have to put into that right perspective, hey, if things don't go exactly the way I want them to, I'm okay. That, hey, I can shift, I can adjust, and I can move forward because my identity is not based on my calendar. My identity is based in who I am as a person. Right. And, I, you know, you asked, like I said, it's a loaded question. I could go on a lot on about it, um, even to the point where I'm having a rough day and Jennifer will look at me and why don't you go, why don't you go for a mountain bike ride? Or, and I realize, like for you, you can't do some of those same physical things in the same way. But even when I can't do some of the things I really enjoy to do, I look for another thing that I can do that will take my mind away from where I'm at. And that might be just going for a drive and listening to an audiobook or it might be whatever to help me to disconnect from that moment. I laughed about the food because we're getting into the season of food. Yeah. And I know you're very regimented with your the way that you eat. Like every two and a half hours. Two and a half to three hours, yeah. Right. And I laugh because Sunday I kept getting distracted and it was 11 o'clock at night and I was like, oh, huh, I forgot to eat today. Yeah, I don't usually have that problem. Which I guess a lot of people don't. And yet a lot of people in the uh, neurodivergent world do because we get distracted and just forget. And if you don't have an appetite, it's really easy. But you did... A, mentioned some things and one of the stressors that I don't think a lot of people really put a thought into is food and it it's not even whether or not do I have enough food to feed my family which is a whole nother ball game mm -hmm. but with all of the food that's out there and then it, it it never ceases to humor me that it seems like we spend all of October snacking on candy all of November snacking on whatever and then the turkey leftovers and then pie and all that stuff and then you have Christmas where there's all the baked goods and you're snacking and you're eating and then we come to January and everybody it seems like one of the most number one weight loss is weight loss so everybody wants to go to the gym and lose all this weight because they've spent the last three months not eating healthy and that is another aspect of self-care. It is. Now, look, I'll, I'll address something because, you know, we just came off a, a cruise vacation. And what do people, I think the majority of people cruise because they can just pretty much eat. <clears throat> I didn't gain weight. Right. But, so normally on a, on a normal weekly basis, I don't eat a lot of desserts or anything like that. I keep you know, processed sugars and stuff out of my diet. I eat small amounts multiple times a day. I enjoy food. I love a lot of flavor. I love cooking. But the difference is, is 
in those environments, I, I have learned to discipline myself to where, yeah, I'll eat some other things and I'll do, and I, I will eat more than I will at home. <clears throat> but even then, that's within a degree or within a, a portion size, even dessert, I'll still get desserts. I just don't eat all of it. And it's, it's, a, it's a form of self-control. And I think what we've programmed ourselves to and, and processed sugars and things are very addictive. We've pro, we programmed ourselves, okay, it's celebration. And throughout scripture, all that stuff, celebrations were a big time to eat and stuff like that. There's, you can celebrate with food, but learning how to discipline yourself to be a part of that, but not to overdo it. Like instead of grabbing a big plate and just filling it up, I'll grab a smaller plate and do smaller portions. Same food, you know, I'll cut some things out, but pretty much the same food. And then I make sure, because I can, I make sure like when we're on a cruise, instead of taking an elevator, we take stairs. I actually burn a ton more calories on a cruise than I do at home because I don't sit around a lot. A lot of people like to just go and sit. And again, I don't want to make this about me, but I'm just sharing with there are ways if you think about it, use some restraint. And I know for food, just like alcohol, just like other things, those addictions are harder once you have this, then you have a little bit more, then you have a little bit more. But if you've got a routine built into your life and you're regimented with food, when you do those little bit more, you feel miserable. And they don't, it makes you not want to do it again. So anyway, so, sorry, I, I got off, I got okay. off track. But you're right. It is. And, and that adds to the stress of January. People are like, oh, I've overate. I've got to buy, you know. So one tool that you can use, because I know there's a, a variety of apps. Personally, if I count calories because of my past, I've come very close on more than one occasion to giving myself a serious eating disorder. So I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. It's also the reason why I don't look at a scale because it will cause issues and then I start, it messes with me. But so for some people that works, for some people keeping track of their macros work, but I would say that if you're going to do any of this like calorie restriction or intermittent fasting or macros or whatever, first and foremost, talk to your doctor and put together a safe plan because these are not safe for everybody and there's no cookie cutter approach that everybody seems to think. And yeah, keto may work for some people, but it can also cause serious health issues. And, but again, there are apps that you can use. Oh, what's the one I can't think of, but it doesn't count calories. It just, it, you can set an alarm to remind yourself to eat on a regular basis. Yeah, and I forget the name of it. I gave you that app. Um, I don't use it. We So I do some health coaching too. And I'm not a big, I don't, actually, I really don't like keto diets. I really don't like the intermittent fasting. Because anything that takes your body out of a natural rhythm, I think is unhealthy. I'm actually pretty balanced in what I eat. But it's eliminating things that are bad for you. <laughs> it's, that's the big thing. It's, it's not a calorie counting thing as much as it is cutting out things that are just unhealthy for you, processed sugars and, and stuff like that. But that app, uh, it's an alarm app, but basically um, EatWise, I think is what it's called. EatWise. But basically you set up a timer from anywhere from two to three hours and it'll go off every two to three hours just to remind you to eat. You could do the same thing on your phone. You could go in if you have an iPhone or a Samsung or whatever and set up alarms mm -hmm. or reminders that would go off. It's just this app just does it for you. Which is funny you mentioned the alarms. Uh, right now with my recovery, I literally set an alarm for... So I have my wake-up alarm. One of the medications that I'm taking requires me to wait 30 minutes before I eat breakfast, which is not my norm. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the post-operative medications. And so I set a breakfast alarm to remind myself when I spend 30 minutes and it's safe to eat. And some days I actually eat breakfast, especially on days that I have PT. 
because I know that that is important. And then I have an alarm to remind me when it's okay to take the pain meds again. Mm -hmm. I have an alarm for when to do the PT exercises, especially on days when I don't have PT, to help remind myself and keep the routine and rhythm going. And that is part of my self-care. I think one of the things that a lot of people get confused about when they talk about self-care especially the last few years has become like a very hip trending hashtag is that self-care isn't about treating yourself it is about doing what you need to do Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself and while treating yourself can be a part of that that is not really what it's about it's about making sure like i said earlier that you're meeting your basic needs that you're eating that you're drinking water, that you're sleeping, all these things that I seem to forget to do on a regular basis, and then I pay for them. It's about making sure that you're not isolating, and there's a difference between taking your downtime to regroup your energy and isolating. And that's an, it's an important to recognize the distinction because sometimes self-care is about taking that time for yourself. And if you are in a a situation where maybe you're not able to be as physically active as you want to be or you used to be, there are still things that you can do. Look up and again, talk with your doctor because this is, it's important to, and that's another part of self-care, making sure that you are talking with your doctor, make sure you're talking with your therapist and have, a good relationship with those. And if you don't feel like you can talk to your doctor, if you don't feel like you have a good relationship with your doctor, go find a new one. And yes, I realize that's not always a possibility and it's easier said than done, but it is important. Well, I'm gonna circle that back around for you because everything that we're talking about, we're talking about tools to help you survive the holidays. We've gotten into really stuff about our everyday lives but the main reason for that is is it's foundational if you're working on all of these different connection points that we've talked about throughout the year from your physical health to um you know from doctors to uh all of that stuff when you look at all of those pieces when you come into the holidays, if you've got those connections hitting well and you're working on them, nobody's perfect at it. And I think that's one thing to remember. And I know that's a difficult thing for people that are neurodivergent on the spectrum because sometimes that regiment becomes that so ingrained that any deviation causes issues but if you've got your connections in place I think those are your greatest tools into coming into the holidays in a healthy situation because those are the tools and things the foundation that you're going to rely on when things because the holidays are different it's a different rhythm it's a different once you hit the end of October into the first of the year, most things function on a different rhythm. And if you've got the right people in your life, the right connections, and somebody that you can talk through when you know there's going to be some changes, then you have a better opportunity to go through those well. If you haven't worked on the connections and you try to do all of this alone, that's when you tank yourself because you find yourself just in that place with no resources whatsoever to help you get out. You struggle on your own, but there's nobody to help you pull because nobody does this by themselves. So another thing that is helpful, um, I don't know if you've tried this or if you've even needed to try this, but I know for myself, and it's one of the things that 
is still difficult um, and I am very very not good at this but trying to establish healthy boundaries with other people especially people that you may not necessarily get along the best with I have a very difficult relationship with my family mm -hmm. this is nothing new mm -hmm. and like I said earlier after losing my dad and even before that the, a few years before he passed away there was a, a strain in the family dynamics and it really it started for when my brother got married and that, that was like the first change and then my sister got had a kid and then so they have their own families and they're they're developing their own traditions which is a part of growing up but it was very difficult for me to accept those changes and I have changed significantly over the last few years and so some of the dynamics that occur some of the language some of the jokes and innuendos I'm not comfortable with anymore. I don't know that I was ever really comfortable with them, but I so badly just wanted to be a part of it that I would play into it and, but as I've grown and I don't, I don't find them funny. I don't find them appropriate and it actually really bothers me. And so I'm working on trying to figure out a way to create a healthy boundary and letting my family know, look, I love you. I will always be here for you if you need anything. But I need you to respect that I can't be in this environment for very long. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, the surgery has been helpful because it has given me a valid excuse to not have to interact as much. Still not really able to navigate stairs safely. So I've been living in the basement and I don't come upstairs as much anymore. And one of the key differences between the first surgery and this one, especially in the beginning, I had people that were coming over and spending time with me and just watching movies or talking or bringing me ice, bringing me food so that I had real food to eat which ironically I seem to be eating less than I was before, but even though I'm not as dependent on having to make myself food all the time. And having that connection with people has kept me from going down the dark spiral that I did after the first surgery. Sure. And that's something that I can attribute to the holidays too, because like I, I know that it is going to be difficult and the interactions are certain members of my, not my family, but my siblings' family that I am not comfortable being around due to past incidents that I'm just not comfortable with him. And I don't like being in the same room and it's it's hard because it's Christmas and it's supposed to be this happy, joyful time where everybody's getting along. And that first year where we were all together and it was the first year without my dad. And prior to that, the only two Christmases that my entire family hadn't been together was because I was in Colorado and couldn't come home. And then the year before, because things had just gotten to a place where I needed to take that space away and it did cause a lot of pain and strife in my family and some regret because it would have been the last Christmas with my dad and had I known that I would have been there. But at the same time I don't regret it because in that place where I was at I knew that it was better for me and even though my family didn't recognize it better for them because it, it created less tension and chaos and so sometimes that's what self-care is about. And above all else, I really like to attribute self-care to the airplane speech. And the airplane speech is the speech that they give you 
In case of an emergency, put your oxygen mask on before you put someone else's on. You have to take care of yourself. You have to meet your needs, your basic needs. And it's, it's not about being selfish. It's about taking care of yourself so that you can take care of other people, so that you can have healthy relationships and healthy connections with other people. And so I just, as we wrap up, want to kind of get your perspective on that. I mean, I agree. As far as, like I said, that foundation that you build with those connections, that's part of your self-care. That's part of making sure that you know when it's time to tap out and take a step back and get yourself into a healthy place. There's a tension to that, though, and intention is good. You've mentioned that. Between, there will always be a tension between pulling back in for the right reasons and isolation. And we can, and let's face it, we can make a million justifications for any step we take. And they'll all make sense in the moment. They won't all be healthy, but they'll all make sense in the moment. That's what justification is. But that's why those connections are important. That's why it's important to have people in your life that when you need to step back, you say, you, you call or message and say, hey, I just want to let you know I needed to take a step back today and I wanted you to know about it. Here's why. And they don't even have to be a part of the situation like with your family. Hey, I just needed you. You're really good about texting Jennifer and I and saying, hey, I just needed to get and kind of vent with us. What that does is allows you to step back, but not to disconnect totally and, and isolate yourself to a point where you've you've cocooned yourself. You've given yourself a break, but connected to the right connections to make sure that you stay healthy. It also provides a pressure valve. Yeah. Because in the past, what would happen is I would stay in the situation and I would continue to stuff things down and stuff things down until I got to a point where I couldn't anymore and it would just explode over everybody and everything which only created more chaos and more tension and more problems if I couldn't get myself out of the situation or I would that pressure valve would need like the explosion would happen but I would be able to get myself out of the situation in time but then fall back on some unhealthy coping mechanisms yeah and that's just it Look, there's going to be tension. There's going to be difficulty. You know those things come during this time of year. For, for all of us, are different. That's just life. But thinking about them now, having your foundation and your, your connections in place as much as you can. Again, nobody's perfect. No situation is perfect. But then as you go into those situations and you realize like, oh, you know what? I'm, if I continue down this path right now, it's gonna end poorly. I'm gonna gracefully bow out right now and step back. Or I'm going to put a plan together as best you can to not hurt the feelings of those that you're with but also get you the care that you need or at least the break that you need. And I know we're kind of talking in a circle here about it, but I think that's a really important thing to remember. Um, if you're listening to this and you don't have those connections in place and you're, you're feeling alone in those things, that's the place to start is to see how you can figure out those connections. And If that's finding a group of people that you have common interest in or whatever that may be, churches can be great places or they cannot be great places. Truth. Um, depending on the church and depending on how they interact with people that come in. But once you find that place, 
that's a good place to start is finding some common things that you can connect to people. Another thought, especially uh, for people that are struggling with that loss of interest in doing things, there are other resources out there that I would recommend checking out. If you are in Georgia, in the state of Georgia, they have the uh, warm line, which is a 24-7, and it's, it's not a crisis line, and unfortunately it is not there's not always somebody on the other line. And unless things have changed, it used to be you could leave a message and typically they would call you back in an hour. But the whole idea behind that was if you just needed somebody to talk to, but you didn't have the connections to be able to. There's also the 988 number, Mm -hmm. which is the crisis line. And truthfully, if you are at a place where even if it's not a full-out crisis but you need to reach out and connect with somebody reach out and and call that number and they can help direct you to resources in your area to assist you yep and that and if you are at a place because again if you and i know for myself that while this time of year used to be my favorite time of year these last few years it's been more difficult Uh, the anniversary of my father's death really threw me for a loop and thankfully I had you guys with me but even before that the months leading up to it I was seriously struggling with self-harm and suicidality and I don't know because you guys seem to know before I realized it, like before it really hit me that I was in the process of forming a plan and you you wouldn't, you stayed with me, which was not ever going to be part of it, which kind of helped nip it in the bud. And I was fortunate enough to have that. And had I been alone, I don't know what would have happened. So if you are find people if you don't have people that you're connected to though reach out to your local mental health reach out to the local food banks the local churches synagogues i can't think of the other yeah that's organizations that you would reach out to but your local mental health resources I would venture to even say reach out to your local police department and ask them because I'm fairly sure based off of past experiences that they will have some type of resource list that they can provide you with to help you. Mm -hmm. So I just really want to make sure that people recognize the importance of taking care of yourself connecting with others and recognizing that while this may be a great time for you, it's a difficult time for a lot of people. So just be kind, mm-hmm. which quite frankly is year round. But especially this time of year when it seems like you would think more people would be kind, but there's this weird tension. Mm-hmm that happens and especially with kids gifts and a lot in the black friday shopping and all that stuff there's all this just be kind to one another be kind to the people that are working in retail and food service because this time of year sucks mm-hmm. i know i've done both mm-hmm. and i think that wraps up the self-care portion of this do you have anything you want to add no I think that's great. Um, you know, there's no one fix to anything, but I think the the big thing that you can get out of this is just, you know, recognize when you're struggling, take care of yourself, try to build those routines, and 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 reach out when you before you get to that place where you don't feel like reaching out anymore. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everybody that has. cutting that out 
But I just want to thank everybody that has been a part of this podcast, whether from the beginning or even if this is your first episode. Uh, this has been a definitely a learning curve and quite an adventure. And I'm really looking forward to season four. Uh, I'm going to sit down with Larry at some point and figure out what we're going to do next year. We're going to try to follow the same general idea of connecting with people in the community and continuing to record these ahead of time because quite frankly that is part of my self-care is not waiting till the last minute to do this and get it edited and get it out there as always if you have any uh comments questions other words because those are hard and i can't think of them please feel free to leave a comment shoot an email the email address is in the description of the episode And I guess until next year, uh, just be kind and have a safe holiday season. Good talking.